if you're going into a new role or even your role is changing in some way, I'd really encourage you to take a look at the first 90 days of uh, the, the book because it's, it's not a theory book that just says, well, in theory, this is what you should do. There's some real actionable tools that I used, a lot of them, as I was moving into my role. But even if you're not going into a brand new role, I still think there's some techniques in there that are helpful. So I, I'd suggest taking a look at that. I, I found it to be exceptionally helpful. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. The first 30 days of a CIO's tenure can be difficult to navigate. Expectations are high for both the organization and the CIO. Add to that a relocation halfway across the country, and it can make for some very interesting dynamics. In our continuing series, The CIO's First 30 Days, we have talked with first-time CIOs, veteran CIOs starting with a new organization, and tenured CIOs looking back to their first few weeks in the office. Today, we are talking with Mike Mead. Mike is the CIO for CNO Financial Group. CNO is Middle Income America's Valued Financial Security Partner. Mike joined CNO two years ago after spending over 20 years with the global behemoth AIG. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to dig into our conversation as, as you and I have had an opportunity to be on calls over the last several weeks and uh, really start to talk about your background. I'd really love to, to, to start there. I want you to, before we dig into that background though, I want you to take us back. It's 2018. You are walking into CNO as the new CIO. What's going through your mind? What what's on your plate as you're walking in those doors? Yeah, it was it was weird. Uh, I experienced an emotion that was it was mostly foreign to me, Jeff. It, I was nervous. I had been with AIG 22 years, mm-hmm. and I had changed jobs within AIG, gone to different locations, but I had a network of contacts, connections throughout the company, and here I am in Indiana, coming from Texas. And it was a brand new environment. I knew nobody in the city, nobody in the company. So I was worried. Um, so it, it, it was a bit of a scary proposition, which uh, was a bit unusual for me. I, I bet it was. Uh, you know, I've, I've never experienced the relocation aspects of it because, you, you know, even if you're starting with a new company, you've got the people that you network with outside that company, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues in other organizations to fall back on. But moving to a new city, new company, brand new experience after a long tenure at AIG, that just had to be frightening in in a way. It it was indeed. And uh, that hiring process, Jeff, was interesting too, because uh, when I got the job offer, I was so excited, uh, re- really excited to start. I was just finishing up at AIG, and uh, they told me, they're like, well, we need you to start right now. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm relocating my family. And it's so basically from offer date to start date was three weeks. And oh, wow. so I basically took off, left my family in Texas, said, well, you know, we'll move later. 
uh, found an apartment uh, here in Indianapolis. And, you know, on the plus side, uh, because I was here by myself, I could focus and basically work nonstop, uh, which I did. But it was it was pretty uh, daunting, but it, it worked out well. Well, it seems like it, it's been a, a, a good fit. So you'd been in the financial slash insert insurance sector for a couple of decades by the time you're walking in those doors. But what things surprised you as you started the new gig? Yeah, so the way it prepped coming in, Jeff, uh, there, there's a book called The First 90 Days, and a huge fan of the book. I've used it twice now for two, two roles, including this one. And uh, I used a lot of the methods outlined in that book. And as I was coming in, the main thing I tried to do was to not judge too fast or make fast, big decisions, which is incredibly hard for me because I'm action-oriented, fast decision-maker, you know, it, it just, I was like, okay, slow, Mike, slow. And so as I came in, uh, one of the things that surprised me was the company culture. I mean, it was a shock, but thankfully it was a wonderful shock because I was used to a more cutthroat environment. I mean, not just fast paced, but just, I would say just tough environment, you know, kind of get things done or get out of the way. And I, what I found at CNO was an environment where, that there was this and is this sense of we're all in this together. We're pu pulling in the same direction. Uh, even though IT is a support function, I found that both associates and leaders across the company wanted me to succeed and, and were like even overly helpful. It was incredible. And so CNO quickly became and has remained my favorite company. It's really my favorite job ever. And it's really because of that culture and that, that surprised me in a very, very good way. That's awesome for you to, to hear you say. I, I love it when someone finds the place that they feel most home at, at. I mean, that sounds silly for a work environment, but but it really is. The culture is so important and the, the fit with your personality and the way that you like to operate, that's an important thing to look for. And so in the interview process, were you, did you get glimpses of that as you were talking to them? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I would say the, uh, the, the interview was one of the situations, by the way, interviewing sucks. I, I just, <laughs> yes, it does. and looking for a job is just awful. I hadn't done it in so long. And I, I just, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I have changed how I interview and how I interact with candidates uh, and, and really try and be more responsive and, and not leave them hanging. And I know we don't always do perfectly at that, but when you're on the, the candidate side, it's just, I, I did not enjoy that. I'll, I'll just be yeah. frank with you. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, CNO did it wonderfully. And that was part of that. I, I, when I went through the interview process, uh, and was able to meet with the executive team and, and to a person. Uh, they, they were just fantastic to talk, and it really felt like a two-way street. Rather than them just interviewing me, there was also a – they understood, hey, I'm evaluating them. Is this going to be a yeah. fit for me? Yeah. So, so that was a good process, and, and by the end of the interview process, I, I was a bit – you know, I was just so excited. I was like, I, I want this job. And yeah. so I, I yeah. did get the sense, but it was even – much more than I expected in a very good way. That That is great to hear you say about the, the interview process, Mike. And I, I appreciate 
that uh, vulnerability to share that interviewing is just hard and it's uncomfortable and because I think it's great for our audience to hear that even an executive, uh, someone who's been at the, at the top leadership positions in an organization, going into a new interview with a new organization, it's uncomfortable and it's okay, it's okay to be uncomfortable. But I love how you turned that and said that you've changed the way that you do interviewing because you realize that it is an uncomfortable situation. I, I love that. So what are some of the things that you've changed in your interview process as a result of that? Yeah, so um, I, I've actually started, and, and not always, depends on the interview, but started giving fast feedback. Uh, so, sometimes even to where, like, what an interviewee I don't think would expect to hear. So I'll give you an example. I, I was interviewing uh, for a role this, this year, earlier this year, and I had a, can a candidate that was clearly qualified. They were wonderful, smart, capable, you know, experienced, everything you'd be looking for. But they were missing some elements we were looking for in the role, some specific experience, et cetera. So I, I just gave them the feedback during the call. I was like, look, you're great. This is a piece we're looking for. I don't think there's a fit. And I gave them feedback during the call rather than letting them hang, you know, letting them, yeah. you know, think, hey, you know, it went great. And then you either don't hear back for a while or, or once you hear back, they're not sure why. And, uh, you know, in that case, it, it had nothing to do with their qualifications, capabilities, anything like that. It just wasn't a fit for the role. So, and, and again, I can't always give that kind of specific feedback in an interview, but where I can, I do. And, and that is so helpful to a candidate to, to receive feedback and, and know why they weren't a fit, um, I think is valuable. It gives them the opportunity to maybe... Uh, fill in those gaps for the next time that they're interviewing. So I, th I just think that is a fantastic approach to give that feedback. So many people are nervous or uh, they shy away from giving that feedback. And I think that's great that you, that you've taken that on when you can, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now that we talk about it, it makes me realize, man, I got to do more of that. I got to do better. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do it some, well, but it, I can definitely improve. Well, I, I think that that goes without saying for all of us, man, we can all we can always improve in a, in a lot of areas. And and uh, I, I think that interview process, because it is so uncomfortable, I think if we look at that, there's lots of things that we could do to to streamline that, make it go quicker for the candidates, make it go quicker for ourselves as hiring managers. Uh, I think all of that can be can be improved in a lot of organizations. So I, I want to talk about kind of that first 30 days, the first 60 days. I imagine that you went in with some idea in your head about what you were going to be doing in that first 30 days, that first 60 days, even though from, from offer to start date was, I, I think you said three weeks. Mm -hmm. My guess is during those three weeks, you were thinking about what you were going to do. Absolutely. So when you got there, and you had a chance to get your feet under you a bit and and figure things out. How did your plans change? Yeah, the, I had to go slower than I expected. And uh, although kind of my, I mentioned earlier, my approach was, okay, go slow. Uh, don't make big decisions. You know, assess, assess, assess. Figure things out before you do things. 
What ended up happening was uh, my team still started teasing me about going at what they called need speed, which, <laughs> uh, which is fast. And, and so I, I did, uh, for example, uh, one of the things is I looked at our organization structure, and this is probably no shock to anybody when new leaders come in, you know, it's almost a one-on-one playbook that you're going to reorganize in some way. Yeah, yeah. And as I looked at it, it, it was clear I, I had a different vision for how to structure the structure IT. And so I, I wanted to do that quickly, and it, and it became clear that was a bad idea to do it too fast. Uh, so uh, although I was assessing, I pretty quickly saw, okay, this is what I wanted to do. And what I learned was in meeting with uh, my direct reports, uh, my peers, HR, others, pretty much across the board, everyone didn't really capture the vision of where I thought we should go. Uh, and I realized I've got to slow down before just saying, boom, here, here's the new structure. And, yeah. and by the way, ultimately, we went mostly to that structure I originally had envisioned, but there was a lot of buy-in, a lot of discussion. And if it was just my vision, it was going to fail. So I, I really had to spend some more time uh, getting input. And by the way, we did modify some things with some great input from others in the organization. So that that was one of the changes. Um, another was uh, our, our plans. We were working on a big outsourcing contract. And uh, it ended up that we needed to accelerate elements of that. And I, I didn't expect that. So... There are quite a few things that just because every situation is different and I've, I've yeah. had to start modifying how, how I was thinking of things. So I, I love that concept that you, you had a vision for what you wanted to do and you realized quickly that you needed to bring people along to get to get that buy-in. What are some of the, the tactical things you did to include them, bring them along, paint that picture for them of what what your vision was and why. Uh, what, what were some of the things that you did? Yeah, so I, I was really fortunate. Our HR department uh, has a organizational change management function, and uh, there's a great guy in that group, John Greco. And John came in and partnered with me, and he kind of coached me through it. And uh, so what he had me do was we, we basically started, we put a plan together. Uh, and of course, as an IT person, uh, project plans, milestones, things like that. So we put a plan together, but the plan wasn't detailed out on the actual reorganization. It was the organizational change management or OCM plan on, okay, how do we get everybody pulling in the same direction on this? And it really entailed a lot of meetings uh, get brainstorming sessions, uh, sessions where I would share my vision and my ideas, and then others in the organization, which included my boss, you know, some of my peers, definitely my uh, direct report team, and where we go through a series of what are we going to design this? And I learned a lot through it. Uh, you know, I expected that I know what I want to do. Let's go do it. And I, I didn't just learn what we needed to do. But it, it actually became a bringing together, I think, uh, of those different groups mm. of uh, relationship, understanding, almost uh, just, you know, that team concept started occurring as part of that OCM around uh, reorganizing. So 
what what were some of the changes you mentioned that as as you went through this process you got input from these various stakeholders and you incorporated some of your ideas some of your vision changed can you give us example of what is something that changed as a result of going through this process yeah so uh one of the things was just our overall approach to the reorg so it wasn't so much the structure because to be honest it support function it structures there, there's not that many different options yeah. uh, so it that wasn't really the, the complex part of it but it was more what happened was we expanded it from just a let's move the boxes around let's you know people report to different managers kind of thing uh it, it went much deeper than that to where we realized for example uh, one of the things that became a rallying cry and something we really wanted to focus on was agile transformation. Well, you know, we, we, we had a project going on with agile, but we didn't have a plan around agile. And so, uh, we started looking at how can we, uh, position ourselves with our first round of reorg so that, uh, we can be set up to move into more of an agile structure as our next phase. So actually what we did was, um, some people, when we did the reorg, moved into a very similar role that they had before. But we actually had many people that were able to apply for different or new jobs and job descriptions. So I, I'd say the reorg, again, wasn't just moving groups or just structure, but it was kind of changing some of our jobs, our processes, how we interacted with each other. So what the biggest thing that changed was, I, I'd say, the scope of the reorg, which by the way, man, it took a lot longer than I originally envisioned. Mm -hmm. The end result was so much more powerful. I, I think one of the things that stood out to me as you were describing that, I, I love the fact that you slowed down, uh, even though you were you were anxious to get going, because I, I, I'm sure there's things that you want to be focused on rather than a, a reorganization, but you slowed down to bring your team along. I think the other thing that stood out for me in that, Mike, was that you brought in someone from HR, uh, someone who is in uh, organizational change management, OCM. You brought them in to help. Has has that, th this will be kind of a leading question, I think, but uh, so many times, and I've been guilty of this myself as a CIO, when we're getting ready to do a big project, we value engineer the the OCM, the change management function, out because that's always this big line item in a in a project. Has that changed your view on using OCM for large initiatives, or is that something that you've done throughout your career? Yeah, I I wouldn't say I've done throughout for sure. Uh, and there's been times where I've had access to that uh, kind of function or capability, but I, it's it's really been it's the most mature capability uh, at CNO that I've uh, been exposed to or had access to. And it's it's really been helpful uh, to us ongoing as well. So I, you know, it, it kind of, I think depends the situation someone may be in or, or what, uh, what ability there is there. You know, I'd say if it's not available internally, though, I, I've become a believer in, in getting some kind of help, even external consulting help, if, if you don't have that capability internally. Because I've done a lot of, you know, IT culture transformations, uh, OCM, different things. But 
that doesn't mean it's my area of expertise. Getting help is, I think, really smart, and, and I recommend it. I, I love that because you have to know where your strengths are and you have to know where you need that, that help. So I, I think it's fantastic to know that about yourself uh, because you can't do everything. Uh, I, I had another question and this is not one that we, that we talked about, Mike. So uh, I want to put you on the spot a little bit. And uh, we had a, a webinar earlier this week with uh, several CIOs on a panel and one of the things that they talked about was the concept of agile leadership, not necessarily agile as a methodology, but we, we did get into that quite a bit in the conversation. But they talked about this concept of pandemic mode versus incrementalism. And what, what they were saying was, uh, as we're recording this, it's, uh, we're in the midst of the pandemic, we're fall 2020. And they have seen an increase in speed in the work within their department. The, the business is coming to them and wanting things faster and faster because of dealing with the pandemic. And so they kind of talked about that as pandemic mode. And then the old way of doing things is more incrementalism. So you talked about using agile, but have you seen an uptick in the speed and the demands on your department this year? Oh, it, it's been huge. Absolutely. Um, the, I'll give you one example. Uh, we were, we IT were in the midst of uh, selecting and deploying Microsoft Teams. So late last year, we worked with Microsoft, selected that as our collaboration tool set. In January, IT started testing it, and we all know what happened in March. Yeah. It, it was the fastest deployment and adoption of technology I've ever seen, not even close. I mean, it was unbelievable how fast both IT reacted and had to react, as well as how quickly, uh, I would say, our uh, associates or the rest of our organization, our business folks, adopted a technology. And it, it feels like, you know, outside of all the other things going on, uh, with you know the change happening in our world and all the challenges that are going on, I've noticed that as we do other things that aren't quite as I'll say desperate or urgent, you know, must do type things, there there is a more open uh, willingness to change in the technology world, uh, and I think we we kind of had a bit of a breakthrough, and you know. As with many things, something as negative as, as the pandemic has been, I think there are some positives coming out. And that's one of them. I, I've seen a, a more of a willingness when we say, hey, we're, we're going to press out. For example, we're, we're rolling out new security technology with our email, which led to changes for our organization. And there's a you know, kind of a more of an openness or understanding and when things don't go perfect. It's, it's a little it's easier, I'd say, than it was before yeah. in a very good way. Well, I'd say that was kind of the the uh, consensus among the panel that we, we talked about is that there, the openness to change, uh, maybe some of the, maybe a, a reduction in some of the the process and procedure, not, not to the negative, but just maybe bypassing some of that to get things done quickly. And so there's a there's talk about how do you continue that 
forward and keep that relationship that the almost that stronger newfound relationship how do you keep it going so um i i, I would love to dig in with to that with you uh, at, at another time because i what i want to do right now is is take you back even further than two years ago you had an opportunity in your career that not many have had you volunteered to go to malaysia for aig and execute a turnaround of a division so i have a i have a three-part question for you okay first what led you to volunteer for that assignment second what was that like for you and your family and third how did that experience prepare you for your current role with cno sure so the, the volunteer story several things came together in that one uh, i had a career coach and they were working with me and just a side side story on that uh, they asked me hey what, what's your career plan i said i don't know work hard and i'm sure <laughs> jobs will come up. They keep coming up. And they said, that is the worst career plan I've ever heard. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's worked for me so far. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and they really challenged me and said, you know, you work for a global company and we look at your executive profile and you have no international experience. I, I traveled international, that kind of thing. But uh, they said, you know, that would really round out, you know, some of your, your skills. I said, huh, interesting. And within a month, uh, I knew AIG's operation wasn't going great uh, in Malaysia. And so, um, and that there was going to be a job opening there leading the organization. So I, I went home one day and I told my wife, I said, hey, um, remember how we talked about when we first got married? Wouldn't it be fun to live internationally? Wouldn't it be great? And we, we, we would dreamcast way back. And that, that was 20 uh -huh. years prior. And so I said, you know, I think if I raised my hand, they'd send us to Malaysia. And I, I had traveled there on business before, and so she'd heard about it, but of course never been there. And so uh, we sat our boys down, and uh, my middle son at the time was uh, a junior in high school and, and on the baseball team and all that. And we said, uh, hey, what would you guys think about moving to Malaysia? We were really worried about him because they don't have baseball in Malaysia. And that was kind of his passion. And uh, he said, I, I'm, I'll get my suitcase. Let's go. We're like, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. And then my oldest son said, well, I'm graduating high school in two months. I've got a scholarship to Baylor. What about me? And we said, well, good luck and Godspeed. You know, <laughs> you're, you're a big boy. And he said, well, wait a minute. I want to go. And we said, hmm. So long story longer, I guess. Uh, we, we, they selected me for the role. And uh, my oldest son ended up coming with us and did a year of university in Malaysia, which is a really interesting side story. Oh, and yeah. uh, that's how we ended up there. So, uh, and, th and then you said about the experience, I, I got to tell you, one of the greatest experiences ever. Uh, it just was eye-opening. It was uh, our perspective of the world and just of people and cultures was just greatly expanded, uh, brought us together as a family. We uh, went through some hard times, which, again, brought us even closer together. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just, I, I would recommend it to anybody full stop if you have an opportunity to, to live and work internationally, wh wherever it would happen to be. It, it's uh, truly life-changing. Uh, and, you know, it, uh, you asked how it prepared me for the new role. Yeah, I'd say the, probably the most difficult thing about going to Malaysia 
you know, IT is IT, technology is technology, but the culture was very different. Uh, And the the country culture, the people culture, the company culture was all different. And uh, so it was a real learning for me on how to, I guess, go in the same direction of the culture and, and work with, you know, not what I had done before wouldn't work. Right. Some of the methods and things I had done, it, you couldn't template it for a different culture. And so I think that prepared me for coming to CNO. I mentioned earlier that the culture at CNO was different in a good way. But some of the things I'd done at AIG, some of the things I'd done in Malaysia, it, it just it wouldn't apply. It just wouldn't work. And so you really I'm going back to that assess phase, yeah. that understanding okay, what is the culture? What is good about this culture that we can capitalize on? What are the elements that aren't working? And so I think it taught me to, to be open to the fact that what worked there won't work here. Or, you know, how do I need to tailor some of the methodologies that I use that will work in this environment? I, I think that is a, a great point about the the culture being different and what worked in the past uh, isn't going to work there and i think that applies where to our, our listeners who may not do a stint in malaysia but may move say from dallas fort worth area to indianapolis indiana right like like you did there the cultures are different and you have to be ready to reassess so Right now, as we're as we're sitting here today talking, Mike, we are a week or two away from your two year anniversary. That's uh, true. With yeah. CNO. yeah. Um, Crazy. Looking back, knowing what you know today, what would you have done differently as you walked in those front doors two years ago? Yeah, I I, I did think about this one. Uh, and by the way, thanks for you know, uh, just this whole idea of looking back has been really healthy for me. And so as I was thinking through that, uh, I'd say one of the things was I mentioned the reorganization and and how we expanded it and it became more complex, but I think ultimately really positive. But what what ended up happening was the, the reorg ended up being in parallel with our outsourcing contract renewals and doing both at once, uh, was, it was brutal. And, and I don't mean just on me, I mean on my organization, on my team. And so, and, and I got to tell you, they are so resilient. Our IT associates at CNO are, they're just amazing. And, and they persevered. And I, I think in some ways, everything we went through in that, all of that last year prepared us a bit for some of the struggles we've had this year, uh, just from a COVID uh, and a, other perspectives. So I think I would have, if I had to do it again, I would have figured out how to do that faster so they didn't end up going at the same time because it, it really led to a lot of uncertainty for our organization. Uh, what one of the decisions I had made, and, and this is, there's real tension in this decision. Still don't know if it was the right one, but was to be really transparent about the reorg. So there, there's, I kind of put reorgs in the two camps. You have the surprise, you plan it behind the scenes and then ta-da, yeah. Hey, guess what? We yeah, yeah. And then there's the, the, we're going to reorganize and we're going to be transparent and keep you posted every step of the way. And that's, that's the method I chose. I really prefer that uh, because, you know, we, we deal with uh, professionals, people, and I, I think they appreciate being in the know. 
So yeah. I think that was the right thing. However, it went on so long that I think it created a real burden and stress on, on folks on, on my team. So that that's one of the things that I would I would figure out how to do that faster. Faster uh, would yeah. be the biggie. Yeah. So. Mike, as we've talked about, and, and I'm sure you've uh, you've had a chance to listen in on a couple of Status Go episodes. We are all about action. In fact, it's it's in the name Status Go. So, what should our listeners do after listening to you and I have this conversation today? What should they do differently tomorrow? Yeah. So, it, a, a first answer, I guess, if if you're going into a new role or even your role is changing in some way. I'd really encourage you to take a look at the first 90 days, uh, the, the book, because it's it's not a theory book that just says, well, in theory, this is what you should do. There's some real actionable tools that I used, a lot of them, as I was moving into my role. And even if you're not going into a brand new role, I still think there's some techniques in there that are helpful. So I, I'd suggest taking a look at that. I, I found it to be exceptionally helpful. Um Another would be is I'd suggest, you know, I've talked a lot about culture and I really believe, uh, you know, we're technologists and I, I believe technology is the easy part of the equation and it, it's actually much less important than the people. And so I, I'd encourage uh, the, our listeners to look at, you know, what, not just what is your culture, but is it the culture you want? And if it's not, if it's not, if you say, well, man, I wish we did this or that, do you have a plan? Uh, because that's one of the things we started to develop. And to be honest, it's, it's still, we're still in progress, but we, we have a project plan. We have a plan for how to achieve the culture we want to get to. Oh, and it's, it's not perfect and it's evolving, but it, if you don't have an intentional plan for your culture, then you know, you're just going to get what you got and it's probably not what you want. So I'd encourage you to be intentional about it. I love both of those actions. And for our listeners, we will put a link to the book that Mike references the first 90 days. I happen to have a copy of it on my bookshelf. So I can, uh, I can say without a doubt, it's an outstanding book, a lot of great tools in it. So thanks for bringing that one up, Mike. And in this concept of having a plan for, creating the culture you want. I've, I've not heard anybody else talk about that. I think that is fantastic. So thank you for both of those actions. Of course. My pleasure. And, and Mike, I really want to thank you for taking the time to, to do this podcast. I know how incredibly busy the life of a CIO is. I know at this time of year, especially in your industry, it can be crazy. Um, and so we, we appreciate you taking the time out to talk with us today and share with our listeners. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for the conversation. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links, including the one to the first 90 days, and we'll also provide some contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Mike Mead, Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. 
Until next time.